Welcome to the Genealogy Happy Hour, a place where new family historians can learn to document their family histories and celebrate their new discoveries. I'm Amy. And I'm Penny. And we're here to help you discover your family tree from the beginning. Welcome to episode 61. Well, Penny, it's a new year. 2021. 2020 is gone. So we've got a new year. We've got um, a whole bunch of new podcasts to record. And we're going to be going back a little bit and taking a look at a deeper dive into record sets and taking a closer, more detailed look at some of the records that uh, we use in genealogy um, every day throughout our research. But first, do we have wine, Penny? Do we have wine, Amy? Yes, we have wine. So this wine, this is a, a, a Jordan 2015 Cabernet Sauvignon. And um, my son's uh, girlfriend brought us a bottle from her family over, over the New Year's holiday. And that was really sweet of them to share that. And uh, I will give you the description from the website. This is from the Jordan Wines uh, website. It says, pure elegance in a glass. Aromas of black cherries, pomegranate, dried cranberries, and a hint of graphite channel classic Bordeaux. Its lovely, silky texture coats the palate with layers of black cherries and a touch of cedar from French oak's fine tannins. From beginning to end, the balance carries all the way through. And I will have to say, I think we I drank it without letting it breathe <laughs> a little bit. And I was I, I really did taste those tannins. And I wasn't a fan at the very beginning. But after it opened up and a little while later as we were consuming the bottle, it was really good. And I would I would definitely get that one again. Or maybe get it for me. Uh might get it for you. Okay. <laughs> You might have one in your future. <laughs> I haven't been able to taste it yet. I'm just saying. <laughs> Sounds delish. Sounds delicious. So, Amy, um, yes. resolutions. Oh, resolutions. It's I January. Hard, hard year, but yeah. You had a hard time coming up with resolutions? Yeah. but um, There's so many yeah. to choose from. There are. It's hard. It's hard to narrow it down. And, but it's trying to pick something that you think you can actually stick with. And accomplish, sure. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Right. And I, I have had a peek at yours, and I'm really curious to see how you do it this year. Oh, like <laughs> really? You don't think I'm going to accomplish? I don't know. There's one I have a little question. About. <laughs> go ahead. Why don't you share? So this year, my, my goals uh, for this year, my resolutions for this year are um, I want to um, get my digital files in shape. They're a little out of shape, a little out of order. And I want to go through each of my family lines and just make sure that I have everything that I need um, digi digitized and digitized correctly. Um, I have some boxes of um, documents that I have been sitting on a shelf for about eight years from my aunt and I want to go through those and make sure that I have all of that information digitized as well so I'm going to do um, my goal is to have one branch of my family um, done every three months so and a lot of stuff is already digitized it's not like I'm starting from scratch I just want to make sure that I have 
everything uh, is included and labeled correctly and, and um, really get those in shape before I do any more research and add to those. My other goal is to write three to five memoir-inspired pieces um, having to do with my recollections and uh, f of my grandparents and my mother. And um, a couple of podcasts ago, uh, we had last year, um, we had a podcast about writing memoirs and writing about your family history. And I just felt really inspired um, by that. And I've got some uh, family heirlooms that I'm going to use as the centerpiece for some of the for some of those pieces. So they're not going to be long, you know, a couple pages, that type of thing. But so those are my two goals for the year. Very good. Mm. I like those goals. Mm. So you don't think I'm going to do it? I want I want to see if those memoir pieces show up. Okay. <laughs> All right. My challenge to okay. you. <laughs> Done. But speaking of that, I do yes. want to throw out there for everybody: if you are looking at doing a, a challenge for yourself for writing your memoirs. Um, there is a uh, blog by Amy Johnson Crow, and she does 52 ancestors in 52 weeks. So that could kind of be overwhelming a little bit, but it doesn't have to be. She just gives you a prompt, uh, which is like a word or an idea or something um, each week that you can write about, uh, do a picture, you know, do as much or as little as you want to, but just kind of keeps you on track for doing something each week. So um, if that's something that you're interested in, you can just Google 52 Ancestors in 52 Weeks and sign up. It's free and uh, could be a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I was going to, several years ago, I had an idea that I was going to write a blog piece on every one of my grandparents going back on their birth date. I think mm -hmm. I did three and that was about it. How did that go? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like what I would do because I have a blog as well and I don't think I've written on it since 2016. So I'm the worst at that. Yeah. That's why it's not in my resolutions here. I would like to do something like that. Like mm -hmm. I started last yeah. year with my where did I, where all the places that I've lived mm -hmm. and got a little bit of history about why we mm -hmm. moved there. So. Mm -hmm. And I might continue doing something like that. Yeah. But my goals yes. are to do some research uh, over in Europe and across the pond. So I've got a, a Freitag family in Germany that my aunt has been um, pestering me to research. And I keep telling her she needs to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so neither of us have done it. And I feel like maybe this is the year... Um, I need to try to do some of the research on the Freitag family. Okay. And my other one is Kevin's family is from England and Wales on his mom's side and his dad's side. He has some Welsh ancestry. And I want to do a little bit more uh, research over there. And so that's going to require not just doing research, but learning how to research in these two areas, mm -hmm. which are very different from researching here in the United States. Right. Right. Yeah, and if I have time and I've accomplished that, because you know I will, <laughs> I might throw in uh, some of the Swiss that uh, are on my mom's side of the family. Oh, just uh, throw them after in there, I did. too? Yeah. Just, can just throw them in there, Swiss. too. There should be a piece of cake. Easy. Yeah, just do some Swiss research. Okay. So that's mine. All right. 
I'm we're so, going to do it. We're, we're going, going to get to these do done. It. We would are. love to hear from our listeners to see what their uh, resolutions are this year and see what everybody else is working on. Um, well, we did pretty well last year. We did. So We did. I think, it, I think it's good to have somebody to be accountable to. It is. I think you will, we will, I think we'll accomplish, accomplish yeah, these goals. Because we don't want to be on our December 2021 going, we Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But to, to help, uh, to help us with our research um, in this episode, we're going to take a little bit of a closer look at some census forms and things that are on there that you might have completely overlooked and, some things may help you and some may not. Some may just be fun, which was one thing I didn't realize was on one of them. And I just thought that was quite fascinating. And I had to look a little closer at it. All right. Well, let's take a closer look. Let's do that. All right. So what we're talking about today are the U.S. census records. We're not talking about state censuses. That's a whole nother podcast. But what we're going to talk about today and take a look at are the U.S. census uh, schedules. Now, if you want to get, and I would highly recommend that you do, um, go to the National Archives website and you can download the blank forms for each year. And that's a great tool to have at your fingertips because sometimes it's really hard to read all those headings at the very top. But if you get a printout, um, like one from the National Archives, um, then you can read those headings easily and be able to interpret the data um, more quickly. Um, the U.S. Census or the census.gov, and Penny, we're going to put these links right up on our, on our uh, website, Yes. The um, the U.S. government census website also has uh, more in-depth explanations uh, for each of the census years, and that includes questions that the enumerators were asking and the enumerators' instructions. So you can go there, and if you can't, if you're having a hard time interpreting, um, for instance, a, a abbreviation you can um, get more information about that um, there, as well as on the FamilySearch Wiki. Each of the census um, and each of the census schedules has their own wiki. Some of them are better than others. Some of the links work really well and some of them don't, but there's some good information on the FamilySearch Wiki too. But the U.S. Census, um, what we traditionally use, most often use, in genealogy is the population schedule and that is the enumeration of everyone in the United States living in the United States um, at a specific date um, during the census year and in addition to that population schedule there from time to time also additional schedules such as the slave schedule the merchant seaman schedule a veteran schedule and a, um, a several American Indian schedules. Uh, in addition to the population schedules, there are also non-population schedules such as agricultural, industrial and manufacturing, and mortality. So we're going to take a deeper dive into all of those and find out, um, take a look at some of the more unique um, pieces of information that we can get out of those. Um, most of the population schedule and these others for our genealogical research. Now, it, it, we're pretty excited that next year, uh, in April 2022, the 1950 U.S. Census will be released. 
um, the every, excuse me, 72 years, there's a 72 year rule. After 72 years, then um, the census becomes public record. So that will be exciting to see what information is, was on the 1950 census next year. I remember when the 1940 census came out, it was just like waiting and waiting for that date for the release. It was exciting. So fun. Another year, another year to go. Okay, so the U.S. census population schedule. Okay, when you are researching in the census, please take notes. Use that blank form that Amy talked about and, um, and record what you find. Record the, the year, the roll number, the state, the county, the page number, the enumeration district, um, the family number, the dwelling numbers, if they are given in that particular census. Um, so you will be able to find it, find it more easily if you have to go back and research again. You'll have all that information. Or if you write it all down correctly, you'll never have to go back because you'll have it right there all right now. Um, and you're gonna, one tip that we like to share is to always look for other family members that are on the same page in different households or on a few pages of four or behind. Um, I did that looking for um, Anson Preston, which I've been working on and he's in the early uh, 1800 to 1840s. I'm trying to mix him up with his brothers and. And it's very interesting to find them all in the same town. Two of them are on the same page. One brother is three or four pages before, and one brother is three or four pages after. But they're definitely all in the same town. So that's, it's very helpful to keep look farther um, for family members. Um, and the other thing we want you to keep in mind is to note the date the census was taken, uh, well, I shouldn't, in comparison to the birth dates recorded. Um, if you're looking at uh, somebody's age and you can, not that everybody always gave their correct age in these in the census, but you know, look at the look at the dates that it was recorded. And also for children, uh, for those under one, they might be listed as two uh, two of twelve, like two months out of twelve. So it would be a two month old. Or if you have one that shows up fifteen slash thirty, then they're like 15 days out of the 30 day month. Um, so note, note that, that that'll be different. But children born after the official enumeration date are not to be included. Yes, they, or they should not be included. So those children that, that you said, it's, if it's a, a two month old, two out of 12, they were born two months before the official date uh, that the US Census was supposed to have been taken. So for instance, since 1910, um, April, April 1st um, has been the official uh, enumeration date, even though it takes the enumerators many months to get to everyone. The events that, you're, that they're supposed to record on the um, enumeration pages, sheets, are what was happening in that household on that April 1st. So children born after that date will not, should not be included, and then that two months would be the child was born two months prior to that April date. Suppose that's what it should be. And also people that have passed or died. So right, so the right. So if someone dies after the April 1st uh, date, they're still gonna be enumerated because they were living on April 1st in that household. So, right. um, so even if that date says, oh, they took this on August something, 
it's recorded as if it were April. Correct. Now, yeah. we have the mortality schedules from 1852, 1880, and that is, again, um, the the 12 months, all the deaths that occurred 12 months prior to that enumeration date. So um, we're talking about in the 1850s to 1880s, the um, census was enumerated uh, in June. June 1st was the official date. So you're looking at all the deaths that occurred from going back June 1st of, let's say, 1849 through May 31st of 1850. That's what those mortality schedules are going to show you. And I have to say, I looked through these mortalities. Well, I shouldn't say I looked through the mortalities. I looked through my ancestors hoping that somebody died <laughs> in one of those years that I could get maybe some additional information on. And no, of course not. It'll be 48 or of course, right. 51. <laughs> yeah. Or if they died in September of 1850, they're not going to be on there because they were, they were living on the actual yeah. enumeration date. So yeah. yeah. So you have to look at those dates, look at the dates on the enumeration sheet itself. And, and then you've got to do some calculations there. So, yeah. So the first one, 1790, doesn't give us too much information, honestly. <laughs> it covers uh, the original 13 states plus the districts of Kentucky, Maine, Vermont, and the Southwest Territory, which is what we now call Tennessee. Um, however, there was a total loss of records for Delaware, Georgia, New Jersey, Kentucky, Virginia, and Tennessee. So the, and the categories were pretty basic. It's males under 16, males over 16, females, any age, slaves and free colored persons. Again, no age category there. So very basic information in 1790. And then in 1800 census, they added a few more categories for the age for the males and females. But again, slaves or free persons of color still had no age category. And then in 1810, um, this we now are up to 17 states. But again, some of the data has been lost. And um, the you know the ages are still. Um, they're, they're a little better. And then in 1820, this one's interesting. We're up to 23 states. And this time the census included age ranges for free persons of color and slaves. So we've got uh, some more breakdown in that area. And there is a column for males between the ages of 16 and 18. And the very next column after that is for males between 16 and 26. So the males in the 16 to 18 column are listed in both of those columns. So when you're, if you're going through and going through tick marks on your family to see if your um, family members line up in those areas, that is not two separate people. But please remember that that's the same person and they're counted twice. Um, but and I there's also a tally mark on there for foreigners not naturalized. And it also asks for the uh, about individuals and households if they're engaged in agriculture, commerce, and manufacturing. Um, and if they are, then that's going to give you uh, a clue that you might need to go and really um, dig through the deeds records for the county or the town where this individual was living and working. Because if they were um, engaged in those types of activities, they were probably filing deeds. 
for ownership of property, ownership of um, goods, and um, so you should be you might be able to find some some genealogical information in those deed records. Absolutely. Unfortunately, as far as the foreigners go. Um, 1820 is about the earliest, I believe, that the United States started um, requiring um, ships that were coming in to file their passenger list. So we really don't have any good passenger lists um, prior to that. They're, they're sporadic. So, uh, but at least you'll know, um, you know, if you're looking for that immigrant ancestor, that's a good place to start. Yeah, that's a good, good point. So in 1830, they've added some additional age brackets and some questions about being blind, deaf, or dumb. And this time the census also is two pages. So when you are looking online at the census, make sure you scroll to the second page because you might be missing some information that could help you in your research. Um, I mentioned before I was working on Anson Preston and his family, and I used uh, Donna Cox Baker's early federal census worksheet to plot out the 1790 to 1840 tick marks in that line. Um, and I, I know I sent out a link to that in our weekly tips that we uh, send out. And if you haven't signed up for those, please do. We just send out, it's short and sweet. We don't do a long thing. We try to send you a tip that could be helpful or maybe, you know, lead you to a website or something that could be helpful. And we'll try to send out some this month on the census. Um, but I used her um, worksheet, which is really helpful uh, in logging those tick marks. And her worksheet lets you make comments by the tick mark. So if I think one is Anson or one is his father, Jacob, I can just write the tick mark and I'll put his name in there, which is which has really helped me enormously. Right. Well, the, so that's 1840. Well, yeah, the 1840, they also have um, recorded all of the veterans from the Revolutionary War uh, and their ages um, on those. Um, even if they were n not the head of the household, they will still put them li as living in, yes. the, in that household. So that's very helpful to perhaps get some kinship there and then ages and find out who was still living. If they're still living in 1840, then they should have applied for a pension as well. So that's something that you should be looking for if you see a Revolutionary War um, ancestor in that 1840 census. Um, and they do also ask about literacy in 1840 and vocation and school attendance. Um, and this one is also a two-pager, so be sure you scroll across to get all the information. You don't miss anything. 1850, we love the 1850 census because this is the first one that records the members of the household by name, age, and birthplace. So 31 states were covered and it did have a slave schedule as well as the general population schedule that we're talking about. And um, this one had the value of property. They were married within the year. Um, they were a pauper or a convict, could read or write. 1850 also had a mortality schedule, what we talked about already, well, which is included anyone that died that year. And in 18, now, even though we you you see all of the people who were in the in the household, you can't make assumptions that those are the relationships um, of those individuals in that household. Um, but 
um, it will definitely give you a, a basis to start looking for other information about those individuals. Um, also in 1850, um, on the slave schedule, you're not you're going to be searching, of course, by the slave owner. The, um, the individual enslaved people are not um, named. Um, they're only given a, um, a description. Um, but you can tell um, um, from that schedule, and this is for 1850 and 1860, um, if they are a fugitive or if they've been emancipated. So those statuses are um, often noted on that on those schedules and this is the first year that we have a separate agricultural schedule as well so again you can be looking to see if your ancestor owned um, acreage owned livestock owned uh, crops what the values mm -hmm. of those were and also if there's a female listed on there then maybe that gives you an indication that the husband died and she's now running um, the farm or um, the business in some way and then you're going to look for deeds deed records um, having to do with that property um, and or the selling of goods yeah 1850 is a, a great great census so. then 1860 covers 33 states and seven territories and the questions are pretty much the same as the 1850 but um again like amy said adding the ownership of land and buildings and ownership of property um, so that, that's always interesting to look at, to see what kind of property your ancestor may have owned. And yeah. And if that, if that's, if the population schedule shows they own property, then they're probably going to also be on the agricultural schedule. They could also mm -hmm. be found on the slave schedule if they were, um, an owner of, of property or enslaved peoples. And there's also manufacturing schedules too. So if they owned, um, you know, a, a, sawmill or they owned a mine or something like that then you're going to be looking at those other schedules to get more information on your ancestor mm -hmm. right and if they did own those you can always go back to the deeds too exactly right <laughs> i love those go, deeds the court, court records are great yeah 1870 uh, has a few new questions were added uh, such as were your parents foreign born that's always helpful to know and if over 21 were they able to vote or if their voting rights were denied. Um, and the 1870 mortality schedule asks if the deceased person's parents were foreign born. So that could be helpful there too. So I went through all of my ancestors to see if anyone was denied the right to vote because I was curious and really? they, they didn't weren't? have anybody that showed a tick mark in that column. Because okay. that would have been like, why? What did you do? <laughs> I would have to lead to a little bit more research on that Absolutely. One. Why are we always hoping to find, find a, a juicy story in the past, you know? So 1880, we're going to add the line of relationship to head of the household. Woohoo! Um, street names on the left, which is also great, especially for those of us that like to plot the places that our ancestors lived on a map. Um, and, and, and excuse me, it also adds whether the person is married, widowed, single, or divorced, and it expanded the birthplace information. So now this is the first year that you can um, start understanding those relationships um, in the family. They're going to list grandchildren. You know, what is the relationship to the head of the household? Um, so that's wonderful for us uh, to start building those 
truly building those families. Um, the other thing about the 1880 um, census overall was there was also a schedule for um, the defective, dependent, and delinquents. So if your ancestor was denied the right to vote, they might be on that schedule. Um, and although it's not very politically correct, first of all, it's not available in all, um, in all states. Um, there's only, I think, maybe a dozen states on the District of Columbia that um, it's still, that, that schedule still exists. But um, individuals that are institutionalized will also be found on the population schedule as well. So the, this will be a duplicate for those that were enumerated on the regular population schedule. Um, but there is, um, you know, this is an opportunity to, to take a look. If you think that your ancestor was orphaned, then homeless children will be on the, on the DDD class schedule. And you might be able to find your, um, your orphaned ancestor um, or orphaned children there. I want to pop back to what you said uh, before that, <clears throat> when you can find the relationships mm -hmm. um, of the family. This is also a good time if there's a, a mother-in-law or father-in-law or parents living with a, a child. Yes. You can then figure out, especially the woman, it, like, find her name. And if you went um, back a few decades and you saw her somewhere with a man you would know that she was not a child she was probably the wife mm -hmm. just now that you've got a relationship you can place yeah. that in a previous census it's yes it's great to find um parents elderly parents living with mm -hmm. with their children mm -hmm. it's wonderful so the 1890 census um if you're lucky enough to have one of these 6304 names <laughs> listed <laughs> that's all that remains of the 1890 yeah. census and those names are in Alabama, District of Columbia, Georgia, Illinois, Minnesota, New Jersey, New York, North Carolina, Ohio, South Dakota, and Texas. And even though I named quite a few states, there's really not much out there to look at. And I was even looking in the Ohio one, and a lot of those pages are burned. Yeah. Like, you can't really even read the information that's on them, even though they, um, they've they been exist. saved. Uh. Um, but I will say they're very interesting because those census pages are set up differently than any other census uh, we we see. It, it'd be fun just for y'all to go look at one. Alabama's, um, I know, are, are pretty good, or at least the section of Alabama I was looking in, um, because the, each family is on a page, and they have them set up with their name across the top, and their information uh, is scored down. Nice. nice. Yeah, it's very different. The other thing that did well partially survived from the eighteen from eighteen ninety was the veterans schedule. Uh, only and I guess the way they filed them was alphabetical by state, so only Kentucky through Wyoming those states uh, remain. But if you think that you had an ancestor who um, was living in um, one of those states in, in eighteen ninety, you'll find um, the full their full name or their widows' names. The widows were included with the rank, the company, the regiment, and the enlistment and discharge date, as well as the length of service. So um, if you're looking for an ancestor who was in the military, um, that would be a, a great place to look if they lived in the last half of the alphabet for dates. So, um. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the 1900 census asks for the month and year of the birth. So that's uh, very helpful. 
and how many years they've been married and how many children did a woman give birth to and how many are living. And that's a huge hint for um, if, you know, somebody has died, um, you, you can track that, like who, who you've missed. There are also four citizenship questions, mm -hmm. and uh, this year has an Indian population schedule yep. as well. So this is a wonderful, wonderful schedule, wonderful year for the census. Um, lots of good stuff there. So, mm -hmm. and, yeah, 1910 also has the same, the same questions about the woman, how many children you had, um, and how many were still living. So... And it's so important, especially because we don't have that 1890 census and so many children, I mean, there's a 20 year period between 1880 and 1900. Most people were yeah. born and grew into adulthood and they weren't enumerated. Um, gone. Yeah, yeah, especially the women, you know, the, the, the ones who were married, we don't have them um, in the, with their maiden name, with their family. So we at least we can know how many we need kids we need to track down. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in 1910, also, the, there's a question on whether you're a survivor of the Union or Confederate Army or Navy. Um, and the instructions were stated to the enumerator. They said, this question should be asked as to all males over 50 years of age who were born in the United States and all foreign-born males who immigrated to this country before 1865. Right, UA, if the survivor of the Union Army, UN, if you survive a survivor of the Union Navy, CA, if a survivor of the Confederate Army, and CN, if a survivor of the Confederate Navy. For all other persons, leave the column blank. However, um, you might see a number in that instead of a, a bunch, UN of, or a bunch CA, of numbers a bunch of a series of numbers a series of numbers yeah. i don't know what all the series of numbers are because i have some ancestors that have this huge series of numbers and what it's, does that mean it's something that they, that they the the enumerators did it's something they did when they were calculating it's those calculations it yeah. has nothing to do with your ancestor there's no codes that have to do with your ancestor it's some sort of calculation that they were doing so you'll see a lot of that yeah. There. Yeah. Now I went back in because I was interested to see um, this one individual. He started he started out the Civil War fighting um, for the Confederacy, and the last six months of the war he switched sides. So I wanted to see how he answered that question, and he happened to be living out um, in the north, uh, the Northwest at the time. And he didn't answer the question at all. <laughs> there was no, there was nothing blank. there. Yeah, they left it blank. Or, or he was never asked. Well, I did. No, I did. There on the same page down below, there is um, someone else on, enumerated oh, on that same sheet that did answer. Yes. Okay. So, but he did. He did not. So, that was gotcha. kind of interesting. So, gotcha, gotcha. Um, and you might also see here. Um, under the marriage like an m2 or m3 and that means that they've been married twice or three times i don't have any of that for my people so but you might come across that and um also the question about uh, if a person did emigrate and you will have an na if they've been naturalized which means you can then look for their naturalization papers pa papers submitted so again, something else that you can search for and AL for alien. All right, now 1920, um, they've got some room for the street name on the side. 
new questions about your mother tongue and three questions on immigration the year you immigrated whether you've naturalized and what year you naturalized again great help if if you're looking for naturalization of your ancestors and whether or not you'll be able to find some papers paperwork for that yeah not okay. a lot new there 1930 1930 i like the 1930 census i think this is a fun one um, servicemen were not recorded with their families, but they were recorded at their service posts in case you can't find somebody and they might have been enlisted. Um, and this census changes the way they wrote race. Um, you would no longer put somebody down as a mulatto. If a person was of mixed race, um, they would be, uh, if it was white and African American, it would be listed as Negro. And uh, there are some other questions on the value of your home or rent. Was it a farm? How old are you at the first marriage? Men were asked what specific war they fought in. And this is my favorite. Did they own a radio? <laughs> Love it. <'Cause laughs> well, you um, know, it's, it is interesting because it also they also ask on the census if the person can read or write. So... If the person could not read or write, but they had a radio, then you know how they're getting most of the information mm -hmm. from outside of their mm -hmm. community. They're going to get it through that radio. But if they don't have a radio and they can't read and write, they're going to be very limited into to be able to communicate with the outside world as far as information that, you know, they're going to right. only be hearing it from their neighbors and not directly from anyone else. So it right. does give you an understanding of um, sort of, you know, the education background in in the household and yeah um also i think probably owning a radio i mean that was to cost money so absolutely a, that's a, that's yeah. that is another indication and i did a, a quick quick little peek at my four uh great grandfathers uh two were living in west virginia um millard lived on a farm did not own a radio worked as a track foreman at a coal mine paul did not live on a farm did not own a radio and was a miner at the coal mine and my two in Ohio, Fred lived on a farm, did own a radio, was a farmer and working on his own farm. And Cecil did not live on a farm, did own a radio, and was the proprietor of a pool room. Ah, there you go. So, yeah, it was just, I, and it really was kind of the way I thought it would be that the, the two in West Virginia um, would not have a radio right. and the two in yeah. Ohio would have a radio. Right, right. Interesting, but, interesting. I was just re watching a documentary. I want to say it was on Jimmy Carter, but he, I believe he said that his father, they had a radio, but it was a battery operated radio. So they were only allowed to listen to it very, you know, for very short periods of time because they wanted to conserve the battery on the radio. So, interesting. Um, you know, we just assumed yeah, I mean, that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But, wow. Um, and this census also records in which conflict or expedition a veteran served, including Civil War veterans. Yes. And then yes. we're up to the most recent oh, one. But also in 1930, oh. before we leave 1930, there's also yeah. that merchant seaman schedule, uh, which kind of, which goes along with, you know, servicemen um, being recorded uh, at their service posts. Uh, it's also... Uh, enumerating merchant seamen and um, who were on vessels on U.S. flag merchant vessels, and uh, not only will you get the basic information about them, obviously um, the um, the name of the seaman, the state or country where he was born, what his occupation is, and um, if he was a veteran, but it will also give a next of kin 
on that report. So there's, that's something that's really important for us nice. uh, for so genealogy to make sure that that's, that's the same person that, you know, you're going to have at least one contact there, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now on to 1940. Yes, 1940 now. <laughs> Most recent. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, this is the first, this... I'm sorry, well, this is the first one that you, we actually know who gave the information to the enumerator. Up until this point, we don't know where the enumerator got the information for all of those other census. They could have asked the neighbors. It didn't, did not necessarily mean that our family or your family gave the information about themselves. Mm -hmm. So in this one, we know. Right. And this one also has uh, two randomly selected people from each page yes. mm -hmm. that will answer additional questions at yeah. the bottom. And some of those questions include if they had a social security number, that would be helpful to see if they're in the social security index. If they had old age insurance or railroad insurance. And then there are some veterans questions and then three specific two women Again, the married, your age at first marriage, and number of children ever born. And then there's a section um, specific to the employment status of those over 14. There's a lot, yes, there's a lot of information on, again, we're just coming out of um, the, um, the depression, and so there's a lot of information uh, about asking about employment. It, it almost, to me, like the 1940 census, because it doesn't really focus too much on the past it doesn't ask about your parents except for those those two specific people but it doesn't ask about your parents or where you're you know where they were from it's more like a really just a snapshot of what's going on in your household on that april 1st enumeration date so right, which is kind of right. cool but they they also ask the where did you live um yes uh in 1935 on mm -hmm. april 31st 1935 and that I find has helped me a great deal. If somebody has recently moved, you find out where they moved from, especially if you can't find them in a previous census. Um, sometimes that's, that will help out. Yeah. Um, and I know Amy mentioned, we're not gonna talk about state census, but um, many states did take the uh, census on a year ending in five. Right, so, and that would really help you if you are, um, you know, to get you the, you know, you've got five, only five years in between. Here in Florida, for instance, we have the 1885, which is wonderful because that 1890 census is not available. So at least we have an 1885 census here in Florida, which really helps. Yeah. And then we have. But like, mm -hmm. if you have, if you're looking in Connecticut, Idaho, Kentucky, Montana, New Hampshire, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Vermont, and West Virginia, they did not take a state census. So I am out of luck. <laughs> Because that's all your peeps are. Ohio and West Virginia, of course. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So sad. So sad, too bad. <laughs> <laughs> oh. So, well, I hope that this has been a um, helpful conversation on really taking um, a deeper look at, into the, the um, U.S. Census schedules. Um, I know many of us, uh, they are available. The actual digitized um, schedules are available on Family Search and on Ancestry. And um, Find My Past, too, I believe. But, um, and I just found one today where I, I went to click on it. I found the family and I looked at the, the transcript. It's all good. And I went to click on the image and it came up with a completely different page than where I was supposed to be. <laughs> so, yeah, I've had that happen, too. And... Yep. Yeah. And if that, you, if that happens, go to the other website and you should be able to find it there. So, yeah. 
But yeah. That just happens. That can be so frustrating. So you're like, wait a minute, what? And so, and what you yeah. can do is you can go down, if, if that happens to you, on the transcribed portion, go down to the bottom and it will tell you what page you should be looking at, what sheet you should be looking at on the enumeration. On, and then you can just go and find that one on, on another if mm-hmm. you can't page through it. This one was all messed up. So th- the way it had been uh, filmed had just been all messed up. So, But I did report oh. it. Yeah, and so we hope you guys uh, learned something new, took something out of it. Um, the radio one was new for me. I guess I just totally overlooked that line and looking at the census, and I just thought that was kind of fun. Um, but you might have uh, heard a new line that you didn't know before and that will help you in your research, and we hope it does. So until next time, cheers. Cheers. Thank you for listening. Please email us with any questions or comments at genealogyhappyhour at gmail.com. Visit our website, www.genealogyhappyhour.com, for additional resources, books, and wines. Don't forget to drink responsibly and never drink around genealogical documents.